welcome to the ADHD Mums podcast. I have, this is embarrassing, lost a little bit of sleep over the excitement of having Tanya today, or Tanya today, as we've verified her name. And as a miracle, we've arrived on time. I've only restarted the computer once, and Tanya's ready to go with her headphones on. So we've got to celebrate the wins when we can. Welcome to you, Tanya. Do you want to give us, oh, you know what? You should give us a quick overview about who you are. I know this is our third episode, but just in case anyone hasn't heard them. I come to this fireside chat here, given it's so bloody hot up here in Queensland, with three boys and the first is neurotypical, more or less. The second is autistic and the third is autistic and ADHD and has changed our whole lives. Everything, every aspect of our lives is untouched, is has been affected by this child. And I was a lawyer for a long time. I had to give that up. And I then went and studied psychology. So I've done my undergraduate in psychology and my honours in psychology. And I'll start my doctorate next year in the use of co-regulation in classrooms to to help children prevent and, and minimise meltdowns in the classroom, which is really topical because school is such a, a difficult place for kids with ADHD and autism. And today, Jane, I thought we would talk about preparing for the the long period of school holidays coming up. And because this is sort of when mums and dads start to turn their mind to what are we going to do for six to eight weeks with our children. And I have to admit that I have come around to really looking forward to the school holidays because I'm just really happy to let go of the daily stress of school life. My son finds it incredibly difficult to get through the school day, so I share that with him now. And also want to acknowledge that I'm one of the really lucky people. My work is sporadic, so I pick up research work. I've been doing some marking and things, but I don't have that pressure of having to be in an office every day. And I just want to acknowledge all those people who have to do all the things I'm doing, but then also have no choice but to go and keep their full-time or substantial job somewhere else like hats off because that is I just think that's such an unfair burden on people who have to do that and I see the stress that it causes in the ADHD groups I'm a part of the exhausted parent coming home having to deal with exhausted children and having to be the adult in that situation and always having to step into the space of being everything for everybody else and that's really tough and so I want to acknowledge that Whilst. Yeah, I love that, Tanya, especially we all hear about parents with kids with additional needs and the toll that can take on their marriage, their own mental yep. health. And it is beyond exhausting once you add in paid employment on one, two, two of those people, yep. all of that stress, they look at each other. I can see why people just fire oh. off because I've done yep. it. And especially every weekend where you've got no one else, you can't really yell at your kids. I personally, I, know, I suppose everyone's done it, but I'd much prefer to yell at my husband well, um, or pick a fight with absolutely. him than to have an issue with my kids. So when you've kind of got all this rage and you don't want to let it out on your children, there's only one other well, person, that's, that's your right. partner. And they're, they're the one who, it's always like they let you down. You're like, well, you should be doing this. So you should be doing that. If only you hadn't spoken that way, this wouldn't have happened. It's like, shut up. Like I didn't speak. It's not my fault that he's melting down right now. That's actually not on me. Like that kind of, you go straight to just, you just want to take it out on someone because it's so frustrating Mm. to be in that space again. But look, we've, we've just had 
such the journey over the last 12 months. I want to give some hope to actually to people who are listening about the just how bloody hard it is. But lots of people when my kids were younger would say to me, look, when they get to about 12 or 13, it starts to improve. For kids with ADHD in particular, because just that extra maturity meant that it gave them capacity to master some skills which help them get through the day better. And I would say that that's my observation too. We've had the worst sort of, we've had a dreadful 18 months. High school's been really difficult for us, but there are definitely things that we have seen improve significantly for him, which has given him access to some helpful skills. So there's definitely hope in that regard. And I can see forward that increasing maturity will give him just more capacity to learn some things that he needs to learn, like something we're working on at the moment, which to me, uh, 12 months ago would have been incredulous that we would be working on this, but just be quiet, listen, and do as you're told. Like that's such an important classroom skill and one he could not come close to. But we're now getting to a point where we're having real discussions about that, like how important that is as a skill in the classroom. And it sounds really basic, but that is... It's a big step for us and I, I can see his growth. And he, he turned around the other day and said he was getting upset. And I'm like, what's what's wrong? And he said, you've got me working on too many things at once. I can only work on so much. And I said, absolutely. But you know what, mate? And I take that on board. I'm going to step back a bit and recognize that. But what I'm observing is that growth begets growth begets growth. So the more you are able to do, the more you're able to do. And I don't want to stand in the way of that. I want to encourage that. And we've had some really good discussions for someone who you couldn't go near with a discussion about anything without him having a meltdown. It's been terrific. So please have some hope that things are going to improve. I mean, I see your stories with your little fellas and my God, that just takes me back to those days, just this constant wrangling of kids who are, into like everything, which I didn't mind that, but it was just the melting down and just the inability to respond within reason to anything that happened. It was just this complete overreaction to everything, which was exhausting. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like there's a few things that I should add. First up, Tanya's first episode that she did on the school system is a cracker. I'm going to add that in the episode notes. And the meltdown one is still one of the most top ever listened to and I think it should be because I still think about that episode because I'm dealing with that constantly. So what we're going to do this episode is we're going to do school holiday planning. We're going to go with the emotions that most parents go through or the parents that will be on this podcast will be going through, that's for sure. And also a message of hope. The great thing that I love about Tanya is that she's really been there, done that with three kids. Her youngest is 14. She's got all boys. However, I think there's a lot to learn still in the girl space from Tanya because that place isn't really explored yet and I think that really needs to be. If you've ever got some free time, Tanya, feel free to (laughs) delve into the highly masking subtype of of ADHD girls. But also I did want to disclose that I am feeling a little down today. So I'm just going to let you know and I think I'm going to start disclosing how I feel before we start the episode because there's been a few times I've been in rage and I've just gone through the episode and then like really gone hard verbally and I'm like, 
probably should have disclosed earlier that I'm in a bit of a mood. I am feeling a little bit down today and I think that would be in regards to just sheer burnout with the kids, exhaustion, then thinking about, and I don't mean to be depressing, but I'm just going to call it as I see it. There's nothing to look forward to really because I'm thinking, okay, we're in the term. This is hard. Okay, we're planning for next term with all of the inclusion plans and everything that's going on. That seems hard. We're doing the early intervention. That's fucking hard, right? I have a psychologist at our house four hours a week, OT nearly four hours a week. We're looking down the barrel of Christmas. That's fucking hard. We're actually going to fly somewhere and see some family, which I think is going to be an absolute nightmare. So I'm keen, but also terrified. My family's children, I won't name names, I don't think they have any neurodiversities that I can see of. So I'm a little concerned I'm not going to be amongst my people. I'm much more comfortable amongst a group of neurodiverse kids. Give me that. I'm relaxed. Give me some really kind of pretty well-behaved kids and put mine in the mix. I'm going to be pretty wound up. Throw in there the mix that Billy still can't do a poo, won't do a poo in anything but my ensuite toilet. So he will 100% get constipated and shit the whole two weeks. And we're going to be moving around and staying with family. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, I don't know what I was thinking, but I also can't pass up an opportunity to spend time with my family, my brothers that I haven't done in 10 years. So this has not occurred in 10 years. And I'm like, mate, I've got to go. I've been invited. We're, We're reconnecting. It's great. But so I'm feeling a little down, which is why this episode is so great that you've moved the topic to this, because I think that hope message is really important because it kind of looks like, feels at the moment, like it's a school term, it's school holidays, it's Christmas, then we're transitioning to new grades. I'm going to have to break it to Billy that he's not going to prep, which is going to be a fucking nightmare. And I'm like, I don't see a lot of goodness coming my way. Yeah. So sorry, that's just my disclosure straight up. Mate. Oh, look, Jane, you are talking to your people right here like that. And look, this is just, it's such a, I'm so glad, like what a connection because I guess because I've started to think about it too, but I've probably got six or so years on you of having to go through that. And a lot of what you said, oh my God, I don't want to problem solve your situation, but what I will speak to a lot of the things that you've just raised there because you're the expert in your situation and you'll work out what you need to do. But let me just tell you, like talk to you about a couple of things. Yeah, it's me, Tanya. And I'll tell you what, my, my, my relationship with my family has really suffered over the years. Like it's, it's terrible because of our situation and it not being compatible with all coming together. And there's lots of other reasons too. Like there's a lot of history of different things there. It's not just my son, but certainly my son did not make any of this any easier and it is now we we will not stay with them anymore and that's a relief it's great my parents actually have on occasion come up here and helped us out by staying here with the boys while we go away for three nights like that might sound crazy to you right now but that's actually happened this year where we went away we had to change the dates four times but we managed to get away for three nights a lover's weekend if you will it was actually pretty fun it was really great it gave me it gave me hope I thought I actually want to I can see past this there'll be a time when it's him and me and we'll be all right well this will 
we're going to have yeah, some fun together. That is hope. It's really hopeful. It was because it gets a bit hairy at times. Like our particular situation is quite unusual. Like we're living across two homes at the moment to support our son. Like that's how sort of extreme it was and it still is a little bit. But to get away together and to be like, ah, oh, you're all right still, it was good. It was really good. We had fun. And so that's... It's hard. Like family is hard. It's super hard. And that's, and Christmas can be really difficult for all those reasons. And so I'll just tell you how we do Christmas now is we will see my parents, but not any of my siblings before Christmas, like a couple of weeks before Christmas, we'll have a nice lunch with them. We will invite some friends to our house Christmas Eve. And that's when I do the whole spread, the beautiful spread and I'll tell you about our backups for that. But we do that Christmas Eve. And Christmas Day, it is just our family, always. And then on Christmas Day or Boxing Day, we go away for two weeks as a family. And that's our family adventure every year. That's our tradition. So that's how we've sort of managed it. And it's not for everybody. But what what I was doing, what's ha- how that's happened and evolved that way is we it has to work for the most with the person with the least capacity. So that's my youngest son. Now, if he was in a wheelchair, I wouldn't ask him to run up the hill to join the party at the top of the hill. Why are we so hard on people whose disability is actually not obvious, but still disabling? That is the disability. He finds all the social navigation hugely difficult. It's exhausting for him. And what I have observed is that he is out of steam by midday, just about every day. So by this is why we can't get through a full school day, because he is actually, he has just lost all energy and capacity by midday, and he needs to go into his cocoon for several hours. And then at the moment, that's a cocoon of blankets and soft toys on our couch at home with his, with the TV, the remote, all the remotes. All, don't worry about that. All the remotes, TV, phone. Oh my God, yeah. my kids do that too. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can't touch them. Like, and it's, <laughs> we've got bigger fish to fry. But so he goes into his cocoon. He has complete control over that environment and that's where he needs to be. And then he comes out of that eventually and he's got some more capacity back again. So that's like he, so talking about moving around now, that doesn't mean that we don't travel. It doesn't mean that we don't do things, but we plan for this. And I guess that's what I wanted to talk to you about. So what I try and think is how is he going to go in all these situations and what can we change about his environment and supports to enable him to meet my expectations and the anticipated expectations of others or scaffold him so that he can meet expectations or a bit of both. So when we think about a plane trip, what is he going to struggle with in that plane trip and then break that down and what can I do to make that easier for him? And this is where problem solving with him as they mature, that's what you want to do, get them involved in talking about what's going to help. Now, he's a kid, right? So he's not going to necessarily come up with all the answers, but getting him involved in that discussion develops a practice of thinking about what's coming and what is going to bother me about that and what can I do to ameliorate that. So that practice is really important. I don't expect him to have the answers. I will listen to him when he offers up some answers, but it's just getting him into the practice of 
okay, that didn't go well last time we had a plane trip. What could I change so that he gets into the habit of doing that? He or she, I say he because I'm, it's grown from an experience with my child, but also it's not just him. It's not a personal thing. I've done lots of research to try and understand. And I've had seven years of a clinical psychologist coaching me almost on a fortnightly basis to parent a child with extreme neurodiversity. So, and that collaborative problem solving approach of Ross Green is really critical skill for him to develop. So when we talk about, and I will say about being on holidays, that two weeks that we're on holidays together as a family is pretty much the only two weeks that my husband and I are both there with the three kids. And that's actually what makes it really special because you can support each other physically, not just on the phone trying to vent while they can't hear, but physically be there for each other to support each other through it and share physically share those moments where you can kind of just catch each other's eye and that's actually really good for our bonding and it also relieves some of the pressure of having to do all three children yourself so we have a plan a plan b plan c so when it comes to waiting in lines that's my child's just hopeless at it just utterly hopeless at it so one of us will always take him while the others wait in line at all the different places you've got to wait in line at to get from A to B on a plane and the other adult will keep an eye on the where we are but just move with the one who can't wait and distract him with what you can find around the place. Devices throughout that time, it's an orgy of devices. So they whatever it takes for them to regulate to get through that time, that, that's what it takes. That's us kind of just, well, that always works for us It may not work for you, but then we've gone through the stages of having soft toys, wraps, comfort foods, anything that kind of brings them comfort, relaxes them. And a novelty item of, I would always pack some kind of, you could buy those sort of colouring in books, but they had the magic. It looked like it made no mark, but when you rub the paper, it reveals the black lines underneath it. So you can get them in the airport, they're not so cheap, but you can also get them at Target and Kmart and whatnot. Just so a novelty thing that might hold their attention for a bit. We always take decks of cards. Banana grams is a really great game because it comes in a little banana bag, but it has, everyone can play that. We can play that and I can help him play it without it being a big deal. And no one really, like one person wins. It's actually the fun of putting all the words together and then everyone can call out their favourite words that they've made or whatever. So there's, Banana Grams is a good game for our family. Like finding those easily carried games that you can pull out anywhere, sit around a table and pass some time together. And those things have become nice memories for our family because now you you showed earlier in the week the UNO games. Now, I know they're disastrous, but they're mm. actually fun memories for, I know it, the tears, the tantrums, but they are fun memories. And the moments that that, like we're talking moments, it's moments of gold amongst all the crap. I used to ring ahead at accommodation when I was booking accommodation and I would say, it needs to be ground floor. Is there a rock garden that is not easily overlooked by strangers close to the unit because my son liked to rock hop around a rock garden and it settled him. 
So that was his regulation strategy. Now, I don't know how many phone calls they field from crazy women who are asking for rock gardens, but that's the kind of thing where I was like, I know that that will soothe him wherever we are. So I would look for accommodation that would provide something, some comforting thing for him. And it was really helpful. The first thing we would do for a number of years, my husband would go for a walk with him to see if we could find such a thing close by. So just things like that where you you know your child and you think, well, what can I do about this new accommodation that will help him settle into it? Our rule of thumb is when we're on holidays, about two weeks is as much as they can cope with. And he's done after that. So we tend not to go for longer than that. We try not to change accommodation every night because it's better for him if we have a few nights in one place. And then it also gives us the option as they get older, where you can leave him at home for short periods if you want to go and get a coffee or something and he's not interested and just let him be in the house watching TV in a foreign language or whatever, just like things like that. So it allows him a bit of rest time. We always factor in rest days, which sounds ridiculous if you're only away for 14 nights to have two maybe rest days where we don't ask anything of them, nothing. If they want to lie on that couch all day and play on their phone, that is what they get to do, in particular him, but... And it gives them an opportunity. And they never really do that all day. But just knowing that you don't have to get up and do new things all day is also helpful for them to relax. Because, And I guess we had to work out what's he catastrophizing about this holiday that's making it hard for him to get through the day. And that was one thing that we realized, that it was just the effort of going all day, every day on new things all the time. We have always done active holidays, so multi-day rides, multi-day hikes. Our activity is in the morning. We'll get up and go early, be back for lunchtime or just early afternoon. They've got the whole of the afternoon to do nothing. We always – I'm not saying this is what you have to do, but what I've thought about is how can I make this something that he can manage? He needs downtime. I know he flags at lunchtime. He needs downtime. So we need to have him home wherever we are with nothing being asked of him. I'm not going to ask anything of him. He doesn't have to take the garbage out. He doesn't have to – he just gets to recover and we'll just tread gently around him. We don't go out for dinner because he doesn't do well. It's the wrong end of the day. If we're going to go out for a meal, it's more likely to be breakfast or lunch. We always get somewhere where I can cook because, not because I want to, but because he needs to be at home. He he needs that downtime at home in the evening. I mean, we, we don't take him out at night here really because he, he just can't cope with that kind of evening activity. And we always try and put in something that's like super fun for him, uh, for them. If I, generally I choose these, these multi-day hikes and bike rides And we might put in, like in New Zealand, we were in Queenstown and they loved the, you go up the mountain and you've got, you're in this little go-karty thing with the lever. I can't remember what it was. I couldn't 
it's not for me. But we spent like half a day up there because they just love this. So something fun like that that they just absolutely loved, we will try and factor in something like that so that they get some really great experiences that they're really looking forward to. So it's kind of this blending what I think is a good holiday with how can I make this so it's it's the best it can be for him to manage what we need to manage to get through it. And so that's what I think. That's where I put my thought. What is the child going to struggle with? What can you do to change the environment that you're taking them to to give them the best chance of meeting everyone's expectations? How can you scaffold him? What can I throw in there to get him excited? And what comfort items can I take from home to give him comfort when he's feeling distressed? Now, we've had meltdowns everywhere we have ever been, except the last Christmas holidays and this year. So, well, like, and I mean, we haven't had a trashed room in a rental. Nothing's ever been like, it's not like he's putting pulling light fittings out or anything like that, but throwing all the soft furnishings around and upending chairs or things in a rage, like just we've, we've had that happen everywhere. And so what I ended up learning to do is to anticipate it's probably going to happen, so I'm not going to be devastated if it happens. And over the years I have gotten better at when I see him starting to lose it, I relax my body And I just, it is him and me and I just, everything else, I'm not even paying any attention to anything else that's going on. I don't try and hold his gaze, but I just try and breathe with him and talk to him in a very calm, monotone voice, reassure him that it will be okay. I will not leave him. We will work this out. I'm here to help him. It will be okay just going over and over and he's like it's he he could be screaming terrible swear words terrible things like he can be quite cruel when he is in a rage because he is so angry and so upset and some of the things he said for a rational thinking reasoning person are totally unforgivable but he's not a reasonable, rational person. He has an immature brain. He is a child and he is doing his best, even though it looks pretty ugly in that moment. And I just have to put that to one side. I I say, don't speak to me like that, mate. I don't like it when you swear at me. I don't like it when you do this or that. But I just just keep going with it. But we'll work it out, mate. It's okay. Like it's not going to be as bad as you think it is. We'll sort it out. And that will like – that absolutely reaps reward, not the first time you do it, probably not the 20th time you do it, but it does resonate. And over time, like he has full trust in me that I will believe him, that I've got his back and that I will help him work out whatever the problem is. And my actually my parent coach, because we had an incident this week and she's come back and one of the things she said to me about this incident we had we're trying to, we're hoping to get the two boys together because there was a bit of a fight about something. And she said, and after that, helping him sit with whatever the consequences may be, and there's always consequences for actions. It's a natural part of things. So we walk with him. We help to hold relief or disappointment. 
whichever it is. We help him repair, even if it's not an outcome he wants, and we help him reset. And we do that without patience and without judgment. And that's, that is what I try and do every time he has a meltdown, every time. And I think it's, it is absolutely that connection with him is absolutely the thing that saves him and will see us through. But, and it's getting better. He's in a sort of a holding school at the moment, so it's not a normal school, but we haven't had a suspension, expulsion. Meltdowns are far less frequent. They're far less intense. We're getting there. And the last school holidays Mm. we had, I took them away by myself for the first time in a couple of years. And I used to take the three boys away every school holidays. I'd go on driving holidays, doing go down see my parents in Evans Head. I'd take them all sorts of places. And it just became too much and I just could not do it. I did not feel safe to do it and I just could not do it. And this last holidays, I took the three boys away and he had one little meltdown. But other than that, five nights, good as gold. And I mean, not good, I hate that value laden word, but he managed so well. And all three of my boys said, what a great holiday that was. And so we've booked there again next year. Is that because you you felt like you did a lot of preventative stuff? So you had it set up well, and that's what you think made an impact? 100%. Okay. Lots of things. Like there's lots of things going on in the background, but so Picking where we stayed, I rented my cousin's house down there. There are three bedrooms. So I had the main bedroom. The two big boys shared the bunk room and he had his own room. Now that is almost always how we configure holiday places. So we've got three kids. So we generally can't have a two bedroom. We generally need a three bedroom. And almost always he gets his own room. Now, in my way of thinking, that just wouldn't fly with me. I'm the eldest of five kids and I'd be like, well, I'm getting my own bedroom, not not the younger two. That's an older person's right. But my older boys, God bless them, they understand. He needs to have his own space. He, And more importantly, actually, they need their own space. We got there very late, which he managed very well. Now, so we travelled down. I knew he was going to struggle with that trip because it's so late. So he, I created a cocoon for him in my car. He had a blanket that he's a favourite blanket and he put it in the window of the car and then we zipped the window up so that it held it there in place. So this soft wall on one side. He had his soft animals all around him. He had soft animals under his feet. He had a blanket over him. He had his portable DVD player playing his DVDs with his headphones on. He was in this cocoon and he was very happy with that. So drove down there went to bed straight away because it was so late and then he woke up in the morning and he saw the bunk room now he he knows this house but he, and he know he loves a bunk because you can put a blanket underneath the mattress of the top bunk and fold it down and it creates a cave of the bottom bunk so where that is and I knew that that would be a bit of a problem because I know how much he loves that setup but he started to kick off about it and my I'm talking to him saying, Matt, everybody needs to have some space. Those boys need to know that when they go in there, that's their space and they can retreat there to recover if they need to. And he said, oh, they can come into my room. I don't care. They can come into my room. Everyone's walking in my room. I said, 
that's lovely, darling. You're not welcome in my room. My room's my room. So you can come in if I invite you in. They can invite you into their room. But if you want, if everyone can go in your, and like, let me tell you now, there is no effing way <laughs> if you went into his room and touched his stuff without his permission, all hell would break loose. No one would dare. So the fact that he was saying that was just ridiculous. But he started to kick off and we just managed it. And my other, my this is what turned the tables for my youngest. The second one, who's also autistic, came out and said, hey, mate, I'll share with you, mate. You can come into the bunk room with me. Will can go in the big, into the double room. So it's all right. You can come in the, we'll do it together. And once that <sighs> happened and I had, I'd been talking this through, so I'd been talking about why I had set this up the way I had. But once Jack came out with that, it had given him, and this is the other thing, he needs time to process stuff. So he had had now a few minutes to think about the things that I had been saying and then his brother came out and offered it to him so it wasn't like it was not on the table and he ultimately decided to stay where he was. And so, because he goes to bed earlier as well. So ultimately that fizzled out. And it was and it was a non-event, and we managed. And I was able to leave the three boys in that place for a couple of hours, and it all worked well. And we haven't been able to do that for a long time. Like real, these are big growth points, and it's mm. maturity, healing that's happened this year, and this constant kind of, I believe you, mate. I know you're doing your best. I know you're trying really hard. Let's work through this. And that that approach, that privileging connection first, which makes sense, right, to any mother's heart, that makes sense. They've got to know. Yeah, it's it not that I love you because I do, but I believe you and I'm with you and we're together and we'll always be together. I'll always be with you, mate. It's okay. We'll work it out. He needs to feel that, really feel that. And that's a big mindset shift from me because like even five years ago, a big part of me was shaking my head going, are you fucking joking? Like, are you going to kick off about this? Like just the disbelief and, and the, and the just exhausted and just sick of it. When I first started to see my parent coach, I was like, I just don't ask me to do any more because I can't do any more. I'm doing everything I can. And that was true, but seven years down the track, it's not that I'm doing more. What I'm doing is doing it differently and changing anything at that time felt too big, but it's definitely over time changing just small things all the time and constantly thinking about how, what can I do differently to get a different outcome here, which is what I want him to do. But it also means I'm owning my role in his meltdown because somehow we've gotten to a point again where he's not coping. So what could I do differently to prevent that from happening? I noticed a thing on Instagram the other day and it was so interesting and you would love this. It said, you can't expect your children to come to you with the big stuff if you can't handle the little stuff. So if you're not a parent who can talk about someone that took the lunchbox, you couldn't find your hat today, there was an issue with your bike, whatever it is, if you if you can't give that the time, your children won't trust that you can actually handle anything big because they're thinking, well, you don't really do anything else with the small stuff. 
So why would I bother you? Like, why would you've got, you don't have the connection there. And that really took me back and I was like, wow, actually there's so much groundwork that goes in to then your child as a teenager coming to you with something really important. That that's ten years lead up. That doesn't happen on the day. Oh, absolutely. And that's look. I I love listening to Hamish Blake's talking about dadding, which I just think's a terrific podcast too. And and that's something that he really harps on about, and Maggie Dent really harps on about. It's the it's every day the constancy of turning up for your kid. It's not a weekly thing. It's not just turning up to watch the big game, but it's being there every day with that connection and all the little things. It's all the little things you do to connect with that child. Because what I've also learned about my son is that he is very much navigating social situations is the thing that is one of the hardest things for him to do. He really doesn't, he finds it really difficult. And that's largely because a lot of the things that we learn implicitly by being a part of a group families, school, community, growing up, he is not picking up. He needs to explicitly learn stuff and I need to explicitly teach him stuff. So I constantly talk through what I'm doing. I'm preparing for a holiday. This is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. When we thinking about how the thing that happened on the weekend, which was just such a hard, we've had such a good sort of month and then have this weekend where it all went to pot, just Getting talking to him all the time, mate. I'm doing my best here to help you. I really am. I'm I'm holding my hand out so you can squeeze it. I'm trying to. You got to understand. There's people around here that that we need to be careful of their steam train that they have lovingly restored. So you can't bite it. What you didn't? He didn't take his bitey chewy thing that he likes to chew on. You squeeze my hand. Trying to massage his back. Don't touch me. All right, I won't touch you, but I'm here. Don't look at me. All right, I'm not looking at you, but I'm just here with you to let that. And because he's, if anyone talks to him, like the conductor told them to sit down and listen to your mother, and they, he just looks straight at me, and I'm like, it's okay, mate. It's all right. I got you. It's all right. So he's not in trouble with me, but telling me to go away. But as soon as something goes even slightest bit wrong, he's straight away looking to support from me. So I have to give it to him. I'm not going to side with the conductor and go, yeah, well, you need to bloody well sit there and listen to me. I'm going to reassure him. It's okay. I got you, mate. It's all right. Just need to, we're just, we're right. Thank you. We're right. We'll sit here quietly, won't we, mate? Privileging that connection with him first and trying to help him understand why things are being done the way they are. You can't chew on the seat, mate. The seat's 150 years old. We need to just leave the seat alone you can't bang on the windows because the see how fragile they are this is so just talking him explaining things to him explaining why the people are so protective because they've worked really hard on this same way you've worked really hard on your lego they've worked really hard preserving this train so we've just got to be super careful with it and his mate is very autistic and into trains so he had no problem being respectful of the train but Matt was just struggling like just it was too hot it was and there was nothing we could do, do about the weather it was just hot and sticky and as soon as we got out of there and into a pool he sort of came quite good again because he was um, able to cool his temperature down but just that all those little things that you're doing all the time and it was exhausting by the time I got home at four o'clock that afternoon I just said to my husband I I just I've got to go to the gym I just got to get away because I'd spent the whole day just being aware of him, 
supporting him, comforting him, thinking about how much has he eaten, how much has he drunk, just making sure all those basic needs were met because he's not good at managing those things. So I have to make sure that he's fed and watered and out of the sun and just it's exhausting. And that's often what happens on holidays too, but you better you have your backpack with all your gear in it. But that's what it's like on those days. So you kind of need to have those rest days too because it is exhausting to be constantly aware of how's he coping, what do I need to do here, does he need to have something to eat, does he need to have something to drink, can I get him into a different place where he's going to feel more comfortable. So there, it, it is that just constantly privileging that connection with him which is not always easy because sometimes it's really hard when they're being really difficult and shitty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this is, I think, the mixed feelings that we spoke about in the beginning where yeah. you look you look forward to the end. I mean, I think at its core I probably prefer the school holidays being just the ones we went past. The September ones were okay. They were the best we've ever had purely because I didn't work, which was the first time I've ever not worked, which definitely made it a lot easier. And yep. not having to rush Hands in the morning down. and manage school and then like someone's crying because they don't want to do whatever subject it is and then we've forgotten homework again and it, it's it, that is very draining. When I've not worked on school holidays, that definitely is better and I'm not planning on working a lot of the school holidays. I'm planning on having a fair bit off. I'm still yeah. trying to figure it out because, of course, with younger kids, you've got to figure out where they're going to go. So. Yeah, they're mine are pretty intense. They they want to move. They want to do a lot, but they also can't cope when they do a lot. So they both want to do it, and then they start doing it, and then can't cope. So yeah. it's a constant monitoring, oh, and I've got a cater for three different needs. So it's actually no good to me to have one child go. It's slightly helpful, but I still can't work or anything. So you're yeah. trying to figure out, okay. If I'm actually just farming one out at a time or two out at a time, I'm still left with one. So there's actually no break. Yeah. But you're trying to find places because, of course, they all fight as to where to put them all. And that's a coordination thing in itself. But I yep. suppose there is that mixed feelings because you're looking forward to it, but you're also a bit nervous and they're excited and you're kind of hopeful. But I try and taper down my expectations because I think that seems to be part of my problem is when I expect that things are going to be better than they actually end up being. And we all do that, right? Like uh, even now I just, I hear other people talking about their experiences with school and holidays and I just think it does make you sad because you think far out, man, like that just was so far from our experience of that school and it's really hard not to be bitter and upset about it because it's just, it has not been, it's, it's been so hard. We definitely avoid cities because we just can't cope being cooped up in small accommodation and and big crowds are hard work for our kiddo. We like being outside, like anywhere where they're outside, like you take your kids to the beach and it's just a different place. If they're screaming into the wind down the beach, it's just not as bad as if they're screaming at you in a house. It's it's so much better to be outside, but you can't be outside 24-7, it's, but it's definitely a good way to burn some energy and to fill your cup because everyone likes seeing the ocean and just putting your eyes on something beautiful makes you feel better about life so we we always have always used being outside as a place to aspire to be but we 
I have learned through bitter experience that we can't do places where I know that everyone else's kids are either connected already, like mine don't cope well with confronting that already established connection of a bunch of people because particularly my youngest, he's really sensitive to rejection. So even if it's not rejection, even if it's a neutral message, he will take it as social rejection. And so I don't like to set him up where they're already well established and he's on the outer, it's not going to work. And my family and there's groups of people that I've come to have something to do with through different schools and I just can't take them to those things, they, they, which is sad for me because I'd quite like to go to those things with beautifully behaved children who just can get along with everybody. But it's just not my lot in life. Like he... Yeah, he just struggles. So when we have when we have anything like that and like the family scenario that you're talking about where everyone's getting together and there's lots of stuff going on, I would not go to that without my own accommodation. I need somewhere that that he can retreat to where he's not under observation of anyone else, where he can come and go, join when he can and retreat when he can't. And I have to steal my loins for the comments I just need some discipline or he just needs a big kick up the bum or or just the dislike that is that I feel from and maybe I'm sensitive about it, but that I feel from other people and a judgment which kind of just feels fills the air a bit when we're there. Yeah, I just need to I need to be in control of I can get him away from that easily. Like we had a big family reunion on my husband's side recently and we thought he would be okay. We've had such growth this year. We thought he would be okay. We chose the venue to suit him. It was a bowls club, like the Barefoot Bowls Club on the river. So it was, we thought it would suit him. There's plenty of space to be, to get away if you needed to, go down and see the water. Like there was just and he just hated it. It was the wrong end of the day. We cho- we we had everyone meet early for dinner at five <laughs> for him. And it still, it just didn't work very well for him. So plan B was he did really well to last an hour or so. And then I took him and we, we went home. And I would have liked to have stayed actually, because it was actually, I, I have gotten to a point where I was able to recover because I'd sort of got to a point with both his family, my husband's family and my family, I was like, none of you people have been very helpful. And I sort of have gotten to a point where I was like, oh, we're kind of getting past that now. So I was happy to be there. But anyway, I had to leave about an hour after we got there because he just, he wasn't coping. And, and that was okay. So we left, but that's how we deal with family gatherings. That's how we deal with any type of gathering. One of us is always prepared, ready to go. As soon as he says, I'm ready to go, we go. Like I have to trust that he, well, he has to trust that if he tells me that, I will respond to him and we will go. And and that's worked well. He was doing more than he could, I think. He was behaving in such a bizarre way that I knew he wasn't really doing coping well. And, and so we were able to leave and... <laughs> A few people commented because he was behaving in a quite a bizarre way, but we got through it. And I just, I don't, I have no expectations. Yeah. The one thing I got from your melt, meltdown episode, I always talk about now with the getaway car. That's what I've called it. So 
Yeah. For me, one of the biggest takeaways from your meltdown episode was I always have my car key in my bra because I don't know where my handbag is going to be. I like I don't necessarily know where my stuff is going to be. And if I've got two kids with me that are both rooted to the spot and my handbag is 100 metres the other way, this happened to me last week, my handbag was like up over sand dunes out of sight. Billy was kicking off right near the ocean, right? He nearly drowned. And then because I yelled at him to get out of the water, he started crying because he said I spoke to him too meanly, right? And then Gus tried to save his life. Let me tell you, he's not a lifeguard. I actually had torn my Achilles so I couldn't run. And then my car keys were in another direction. The kids were in another direction. My husband was in another direction. And I was like, because I was thinking, I took the two cars, what you said, right? But when I problem solved it later, I was like, the problem was my car key was not with me. So now the getaway car driver, which is me, has my key in my bra so I can take whichever child I've got. And I have two phones. I have a work phone. So I've left my work phone in the car. So if I need to, I can message my husband and say, only got one bag and two children. Can you get the others? (laughs) Because I'm trying to figure out because I always end up in one spot unable to do something because I don't have keys, phone or whatever. Cause then I think I can't leave because my husband's going to turn around and be like, where did she go? And why do I only have where one kid with me? Are they lost? <laughs> cause, cause our, both of our phones are in the same bag that no one has access to. So yeah. we've eventually got yeah. there, but I have yeah. got some pretty strong takeaways with setting yourself up a little bit better. So you're not there left for an hour in the hot of Queensland with one to two children oh. that are crying and the sun's beating down yeah. and the car's right there, but you can't use it. Yeah. So it was funny actually, cause we're at the beach and this lifeguard was like, the lifeguard was like, yeah. you can't leave your child there cause he's crying. And I was like, he's fine. Like he's going to cry. I've got to go this way. He's like, you can't leave your child here like that. People are getting upset. And I was like, I don't know what you want me to do. Can you go over there and get my handbag? Like, I don't know what I can do. Yeah, and you know what he could have said, how can I help you rather than you need to do a better job here, lady. Like, honestly, go take a jump. Like, you try oh, doing this job. This job's hard. Exactly. And I think he just thought I should go over like, as a mother and go, are you okay, and pick him up. And it's like, you think I haven't done that? I've done that, like, for 30 minutes. He won't get up. He won't yeah. come. And it might also, in my case, if I approach too quickly or unexpectedly, it might accelerate the situation and they take off. And then, like, can I tell you, on this ste- – we went on this bloody steam train, which his my son's friend was super looking forward to and it was his birthday – our birthday gift to him was to go on this thing. So Matthew has a meltdown getting on the thing, gets off, starts walking away up the street. And I'm just saying to his mate Ted, I said, look, Ted, he'll come back just – just hold the fort. I didn't know if he was going to come back. The conductor's looking at me like, what are you doing, lady? Your son's walking up the street. Like we're in the middle of nowhere too. And I just said, look, I'm pretty sure he'll come back. Like seriously, he's, I'm pretty sure. So anyway, he does come back as they're doot, doot. And, I'm like, I don't, I, and, and then we get to the turnaround point, which is 45 minutes. And he was a shocker for the 45 minutes, like just the whole time trying to help him settle. 45 minutes, we turn, stop, we have to get off so they can turn the engine around and blah, blah, blah. 
we are in the cow's paddocks. Like we are in the middle of nowhere. It is 36 degrees. Oh there is God. no shade. And he has climbed the fence and started walking away again. And now this is a strategy that we want him to use, right? Get away from the problem. You need to just walk away, calm down, and then re-engage when you're ready. Like that's definitely a good strategy, not in the middle of nowhere. So the conductor's looking at me again and I'm like, pretty sure he's going to come back. I'm on the phone to my husband saying, you may have to come and collect him from this cow paddock because I don't know if he's going to come back or not. And Ted's looking at me going, what do you want me? Like just kind of gauging the situation. He is very used to my son's behavior. But I said, Ted, I think you'll be all right, mate. Look, and you know what? We may have to get off here and wait for Richard to come and get us. (laughs) I'm like trying to problem solve on that end and then but try, not wanting to appear like too concerned to Ted but I'm saying and my husband's saying well where are you I'm like I don't fucking know <laughs> like, we are in the middle of nowhere we're at past Ipswich somewhere and the so then the toot toot and he finally sort of comes saunt, like comes back climbs the fence again and gets the last one on the train and you're just like oh my god oh my god don't need people's judgment in that moment. I am just doing all I can to, I'm hypervigilant. I'm doing all, I can't grab him and pull him on. That's not going to work. So I just have to wait for him to get on the, of his own volition. So yeah, everyone who's watching and judging, you can all take a jump because (laughs) it's doing my best here. I hear you. We've got this daycare thing at the moment. It's and it's like Billy just wants to jump out from behind the couch and surprise me or surprise, as he says. And that's his thing that he wants to do every reception. So you're walking around the corner. I have to wait. He jumps out from the couch and I have to pretend to go, where's Billy? Oh, there he is, right? I have to find him. There's one of his yep. friends. What will I call his friend? Sam. So he's usually it's all fine, but Sam, for some reason, watched us leave and they've got like louvers. And Sam had put his fingers through the louvers and undid it. And as I'm walking and saying, where's Billy? He thinks it would be helpful to say, there he is. And I'm thinking, oh, no, oh, no, someone's helped. This is going to kill me. (laughs) So so Billy completely freaks out and he makes me walk all the way back, right? So we walk all the way around with my poor bloody torn Achilles. Anyway, walk all the way back around. And I'm thinking, for the love of God, let Sam not be there, right? We walk around, we go again. And he goes up to the couch and I'm thinking, Sam, you better not be there. Anyway, Sam's there waiting and Sam goes, there he is. And I was like, oh, my God. So Billy's like turning blue at this point, right? The reception lady is like doesn't know what to do. She is so nice, but she's like, she starts panicking. She's going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, not that. And then I just said to her, I need you to get Sam away. Sam has to be away, right? So she goes to entertain Sam. We walk back around. We go back again. And another kid has seen Sam do it and decides to show me where he is for the third time. Other people are going back and forth leaving with their kids. And I'm thinking... And now it's this game and we were there for 90 minutes and in the end she had to like block off that area of the playground to to make sure that no one found him. Anyway, and then they called a meeting with me yesterday actually. It was really good because they said what we'll do now is we're just going to bring him to the door. And I was like, that would work for me. 
so they've yeah. identified yeah. it's not working. See? So that has been a problem um, solving. That's right. A win. I think the reception lady's like, I can't, I can't do that again. She was so overwhelmed. Do you get that all the time where people are like, oh, I don't know how you do it, and you think, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Doing what I have oh, to I do. Oh, I don't have a choice. What do you want me to through. do? Put, them, yeah. put one up yeah. for adoption? Like go to the international yeah. airport and fly out? It's just like I thought of it. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If, if my hubby goes out anywhere, I always say to him, leave your passport in the cupboard. Like don't oh, you dare leave me it, here. Absolutely. It's a, it's a race to the door. Like whenever we've had those moments where you're just like, I can't do this anymore, you both, it's like you're looking at each other with your hands on, on the holsters of two pistols, to go at dawn who's going to who's going to race to the door quickest but anyway we've always sort of come to the view that it's however attractive it is the idea of having week on week off it's it's never it's not easier we've just got to try and make it work right no the um you wouldn't you'd be too far past this now but we always have a race to the good night so I always want to get out the door first because whoever's left there gets like left with one more hug one more cup of water throwing themselves on the ground I don't have my teddy and so both of us are like like trying to push each other shouldering out to get out first absolutely oh my god I know, I know. Oh my God, so many, so many times where the other person, and then they, then they're like, you walk out, you're haggard from ninety minutes of trying to get these kids to bed, and they're just eating their dessert on the couch, just going, yeah, good job, honey. <laughs> yeah, because they've gone on their phone and they've lost track of time, so they're like, oh, was it thirty minutes? I thought it seemed like one or two. <laughs> Tanya, I think we should attempt to wind up. Let's finish on a hopeful note because this episode, I mean, even in the, I started interviewing you, I think it was around May or June in the middle of this year. It's now October for everyone's reference. So I think even in that space of time, you seem like you've made a lot more progress or you've made a lot of progress with your kids. Yeah, I I agree. This year has been a year of, of growth. Absolutely. And I think that's on the back of lots of things. We've had lots going on with medication. With We're now down to basically a half dose of a antidepressant and a, a clonidine, which is a hypertensive. And over these Christmas holidays, we're going to see how we go without the hypertensive. There's that. But also maturity from him. And I think the fruition of years of slowly learning how to parent from a place of connection, privileging connection, privileging genuine positive regard for him, absolutely believing that he is doing his best and developing that problem-solving mindset where we try and come together to work out what we can do differently next time and to try not to have any value words like better or worse or but just differently and involving him so that he can develop that reflective capacity and I think we've seen real growth and the way we're approaching each oncoming holiday I'm a great planner of holidays and holiday periods and and I think it's I really enjoy it, but I plan it around basically how he's going to cope. And you would do the same for a child in a wheelchair. 
you would plan your holiday around what's going to work for them, what's going to make the holiday as fun as possible for them. If they're, I think you can only be as happy as your unhappiest child. And if they're doing well, you're doing well. Like I can feel in myself how much more relaxed I am. And that's because I know he's doing better. He's, despite the events over the weekend, which were pretty tricky, we're still moving in the right direction. We're still seeing that growth, the discussions that we're able to have now. Yeah, I think it's, it does get better. It does get easier. There is growth and maturity for the child and for you as a parent, like the more you sort of thoughtful about how you are parenting your child with a disability, the better you're going to be at it. If you're constantly curious about why is he behaving that way or why is she behaving that way? And I talk a lot about he's, but girls are, the same goes for girls. They just might do it a bit differently. A girl might have a meltdown that's sobbing tears. Like, I mean, it sounds ludicrous and that might be how they have a meltdown. They're not throwing chairs, but hours and hours of sobbing is exhausting for the parent and the child. And mm. Or the girl might clam up and not say anything. And boys might do, do that too. But unproductive behaviours, whether they're externalising or internalising, are still unproductive behaviours. And we need they're the things that we need to try and work on so that they can feel all the big feelings but just manage them in a more productive way for their own sake and for the sake of everyone around them. But to move through life, you can't, you can't have those unproductive responses to big feelings. It's not going to work for them. So we just need to try and help them work out how to manage them better. And that's that connection with them, that belief in them. Someone accused my son of doing something on Sunday in the pool and she met, there was a thousand kids in this pool and it was one we'd never been to. And my, my son looked at me and said, I didn't do that. And his mate said, he didn't do that. And I believe him, like I believe him because it didn't sound like something he would do. You never know. But his response straight away was nah. And then she was saying, you did the same thing last week. And I said, we have, we've never been to this pool before. So there's no way he could have done it. I said, I think you've got the wrong person. And then she started to doubt. <laughs> so sort of, I said, look, I don't know what's happened. I'm really sorry. We're leaving anyway. See you later. But he expected me to believe him and I did believe him and he needs to understand that. Now, I'm not stupid. There is a chance that he could do something, but I'm going to believe him when he tells me something and then we'll go from there. He's given me 55 different accounts of the events the previous day where he had a fight with someone. So I know (laughs) there's some element of truth there, but who knows what really happened. If you don't feel like your mum's on your side, I don't know yeah, that's it. how that would feel. That's it. If you don't even feel like your own that's mother it. is on your side, yep. that would be heartbreaking. So I agree. I think yep. you, you back your child until proven otherwise yep. because why that's would it. you side with a stranger? I went to a head of inclusion meeting yesterday for my daughter and the head of inclusion said to me at the end, oh, looking forward to getting to know you really well with two boys coming through, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, oh, this terrifying thought of that many meetings. But anyway, one thing that she said to me that I thought really kind of speaks to me with what you're talking about is she said to me, Jane, all of the work that you're doing now matters. 
it all matters, yep. but it won't matter now. Yep. You'll feel like it's not working, but trust me, when you hit yep. grade five, she said, I can see your daughter and I can see the people that do early intervention because when you hit grade five, you will not be in the same boat or whatever category or however hard that is for people that are undiagnosed that haven't had any therapies or interventions. Yep. She said, you will be Absolutely. far, far, far. I've seen... And so that gave me some hope that because sometimes it feels like it's not helping or it doesn't matter or you're not getting anywhere. And when I talk to you, I'm like, well, this is what you're reaping the rewards of a long road is what I see. Yeah. Yep. 100%. Yep. And, and, and that road has not always been in a linear path. Like we've had definite setbacks and there's definitely decisions that we've made particularly around medication and and also with school and things, which I regret and I wish that we'd done differently. But we've learned from all of those things. And we've generally, Mm. like every decision we've made has been, as with all parents, to, to try and help our kid. And we have definitely learned and he has learned. So I I sort of, with schools, I just, it's a funny thing all those meetings you're talking about, which you quite rightly, oh, every time they call a meeting, you just like, your heart sinks, your chin sinks to your chest. You're just like, God, really? What I love about the school is at, at the moment, we had a lot of meetings first up, not even meetings, just like they weren't meetings. I were just kind of casual when I dropped him off discussing. But now I drop him off and if something happens, I'll hear it in the weekly wash-up, but it's not expected that I'll just keep having to meet with them about every single thing that goes wrong. And I think schools can get into that sort of trap of you have to meet about everything. You think, oh, do we really? Like, can't we just do this on a monthly basis? <laughs> it's almost like you're preparing the teacher to have an attitude towards your child. Do you know what I mean? Like... There's, there's just no opportunity for the child to kind of just move on with everyone else because there's this sense that you have to prepare the teacher. And look, you do. It does, I suppose, it is helpful. But, oh, God, sometimes I think we just spend so much time making a big deal out of it when we should just approach it on the basis that those universal teaching principles that doing for him things that benefit everybody being aware if he's not doing well, needing to move, being flexible, explaining things clearly in a systematic and help repeating appropriate words so that they get the instructions, checking in with them, all those things. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's another whole discussion. Yeah, I had the same thought. It is another, it is another whole discussion. The, I noticed in the inclusion plan yesterday there was a lot of things that I thought was were obvious, like I thought, that should probably yeah. just happen for everybody. Like check in with them, yeah, make sure they're happy with right. their seating. If they're not, move them. I was like, why Why is that not just a standard thing? That, These are all. And so because and, then it overcomplicates it, right? It, it just creates this massive paper trail. You think, well, most of that's rubbish. Like in the end, <laughs> that's right. Like why is that particularly in that plan? Like oh, I agree. It just It just seems to kind of elevate this child to problematic. Yeah, I don't know. It was like I was kind of just there thinking, well, why would you make a child sit somewhere that they don't want to sit? Yeah. Because wouldn't they behave exactly. better and they'd learn better if they were happy where yeah. they sit? So, like, can they not just – It's the same as saying 
put them at the front of the class. Mate, I can tell you within about five minutes, the kids who need to be at the front of the class are going to declare themselves pretty quickly. <laughs> so why do you need to put that? Uh, stuff like that, it just makes them look like they've got all these special things when in fact it's not that special. It just makes sense and you would do it for any child who is doing that. Yeah, it's funny because the old school we're at that we left this year, they put all the special needs kids together in a group, in a class, but then they grouped all the ones that had ADHD together. So they put my daughter with like Mm. the six most hyperactive, disruptive boys. So they had an ADHD area and it's like, why would you put them all together? Because she was stuck with all these disruptive boys that kept hitting her. And I was like, why would you do that? And that, that sort of segregation is actually unlawful. It's unlawful. So why are they doing it? They do it everywhere, Jane. It's not just that school. It's everywhere. They do it everywhere. They put them all together and they don't put like – the thing about where Matthew is at the moment, It there is it, there are only kids there who have got lots of trauma and difficulty. The ratio of teacher to student is so high. It's like there are about six teachers for 15 kids or something. Like the, it's so high. Wow. So – Unless you're going to do that in every segregated classroom, stop doing it. The idea is that you have a spread in every classroom. So you have some ADHD kids, you have some neurotypical kids, you have some kids with dyslexia, you have everybody, a spread of kids in a classroom. And that way you don't have the person out the front being overwhelmed by half the class having special needs. Like that's just, the reason it's unlawful is because it makes no sense and it's discriminatory and Mm. there are no winners. It shouldn't be happening, but it is happening. It happens everywhere. And parents need Mm. to stand up to it and say, look, that's just not on. And, yeah, that's a whole other discussion too. But anyway, in terms of getting ready for these school holidays, yeah, because we can come back and talk about getting ready for the school year. But in terms of getting ready for the school holidays, I think just putting some thought into – planning that time around your child's capacity and what you can change about their environment, wherever that is. I'm not one who says never leave the house because it's too hard. I think try as much as you can, but be prepared that if it's not going well, you've got a backup for that. So if you try going to a big family reunion, be prepared that that might not be something that your child can cope with for the whole time. So have a plan B to get them away from the busyness of that and the pressure of that. Steal yourself for how are you going to deal with people's comments? Like are you going to let that slide or are you going to respond or you need to prepare yourself a little bit for that. But what you can control is where you stay, what food is available for your child to eat, what comfort things they have available to them at any given time, that they're, well, that they're fed and watered appropriately that they have some novelty things that might amuse them in a pinch, that they have some distractions there that work well, like devices or DVD players or that you have some games, things that your family can build up some traditions around, like bananagrams or cards or whatever. Like just putting some thought into how you're going to help your child have the capacity they need to get through your what's being planned and making those plans around the family situation and the family situation involves a child or two children or three children with neurodiversity. So you need to kind of plan for that. Ringing up and asking whether accommodation have a rock garden, trying to plan for how can I provide an environment for him to settle himself 
not moving accommodation all the time, like giving yourself a few nights in one place so that they can have somewhere to go back to if they need, having rest days, things that that are going to make the other days better. And I tell you what, the magic sometimes happens on those rest days. So you've been busy out doing things on the other days and having days where you just hold up in some hotel room or motel room or apartment or whatever, like they can be magic days too. So it's it's just being away together. That's definitely part of the magic of the school holidays. And then if you've got to work, getting some structure around those kids so that you can help them get through the days that you're not able to be there with them, super important. And it look, this is where it all falls apart for working families. Like 12 weeks of school holidays they've got over the course of the year, this is where it falls apart because kids don't cope being in long daycare all day through the school holidays and then it becomes a very lonely existence if they're there once they're old enough to be left on their own for long days while both parents are at work. And certainly I would never have left our kids on their own just because of our youngest being so volatile. But yeah, like this is, it is really where things can fall apart for families. So trying to find that job that gives you some freedom to manage your family responsibilities, like that can often be where your head ends up is what what sort of work can I do? that enables me to do what I need to do for my kids. And that's how I've ended up being a research assistant as opposed to a lawyer. Yeah, I agree completely with what you're saying, but of course that comes up with a sacrifice from us, the the mothers mainly. But again, I'll try not to delve too much into that one, but I think I've loved what what you've shared. If anyone else has any tips or tricks around school holidays, it's always a constant battle. I don't want to say battle, but it's it's a constant thing that we have to juggle and yeah. organize and problem solve. If anyone has anything else, I'm yep. pretty good on my DMs. If anyone would like to DM me through any advice or hot tips that they've got that works or any jobs that we can do flexibly. Women, I always see people talking about that online. If you have a, a review, any feedback, please send it in. Spotify, a five-star review would really help. What it will do is it will keep pushing up the podcast in Australia so other Aussie women can hear from Australian women as opposed to there's a lot of overseas podcasts, which are awesome, but there's always something nice and refreshing about an Australian podcast. So if you can, that would be really helpful. And thank you so much for your time, Tanya. You've been an absolute legend as always. Oh, no worries. And what a great thing to share. Like if there was a conversation that started on your page or something where people were sharing their tips for planning holidays, because that's just such a constant grind for parents is planning for the next school holidays. They're only ever 10 weeks away. So that would be a really great discussion to see like everyone's kind of what's worked for their family and so forth might work for someone else's family. Yeah. Yeah, I actually get a lot of DMs about it, but I don't share them. Yeah, I might do a story with a question and then you can just like screenshot all the answers and I'll just share them all. That's actually a better way. Otherwise, I just DMs to me, but I don't, can't share all of them because it's boring for people on the stories. But it's a great idea. I'm going to write that down because, you know, I I can't remember anything. (laughs) And with that, we shall end. Thank you so much, Tanya. So good to talk to you, Jane. 